Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Thursday, Piaple, people, I, Chad and Nate. I think I got what you're saying, yeah. You got what I was saying? Yeah. How you doing, Chad? I'm fantastic, man. Um, listen to Mike and Mark and hearing the uh, sentiments of the text line there in their show. Um, but I think it ain't over, man. It ain't over yet. What, 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 what are you talking about? Expand. Expound. Our uh, look back. Oh. At uh, Monday night. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we're still harping on it. Well, harping's not the right word. There's still new news coming out. So, therefore, when there's new news, you have to talk about the new news, even if it relates to last week. Okay. And what new news do we have? Uh, there's lots of it. Uh, Russell Wilson didn't sound like uh, he was uh, down with the quote-unquote plan. Well, did you did you think he would be? I mean, like, does a quarterback ever want to come off the field? Aaron Rodgers had that problem with Matt LaFleur, right? Right. And... Um, even though Aaron Rodgers had Nathaniel Hackett's back when he was on Pat McAfee a couple days ago, of course. But, um, no, no quarterback wants the ball to be taken out of his hands on fourth and five with a game on the line like that. They want to go for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, is it a – Is it a, I, I guess the, the surprise is that he let that slip. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Yeah. For someone who's as calculated as that, the fact that the quarterback wants the ball, that's not news. In fact, the quarterback who wanted the ball chose to get into details about how he wanted the ball and how there was a play call and how they were at the line of scrimmage ready to run the play. That's the news. So they were at the so, – so, so I didn't hear that one. And, and so maybe we can cue it up for later. But you're telling me he had a play call and he was heading to the line of scrimmage to call the play and run the play. Yes. Without calling a timeout? Again, because they should have – if he wanted to keep going, they should have called a timeout. As Peyton and Eli went into in the Manning cast. Because you have a minute left and, you right. get, and you'll have two more timeouts. You want to move the ball, you know, 20, 30 yards down, maybe even score a touchdown. That's the ideal, yeah, right? Score right. a touchdown with no time left on the clock or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But you're not stepping to the line of scrimmage and letting that clock tick Yeah, I, if you're running a play. I, I the only it. reason you're stepping to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and letting the clock tick down is if you're calling a timeout and going to kick a field goal. Right. So is Russell Wilson a bad game manager? <laughs> I'm just kidding. If the situation was badly managed. I think we can agree upon that. Yeah, we can. And yeah. so nobody's happy about it. You lose a football game. It's like a, you know, it's like a funeral procession the next week at, at, at practice. You got to answer all these questions. Of course, it's a huge letdown. There was such a buildup before this game. So I understand this outsized response to this one game, but it is just one game. Our head coach made one mistake there. We got to see if he can correct it. Um, when a football player makes a mistake, Chad, on the field, what do we do? We 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 correct it. We send it back on the field to see if you can fix it, right? Right. So let's extend the same grace to Nathaniel Hackett and see if he can fix his mistakes. Is that fair? That is fair. Um, but in the process of allowing him time to fix his mistakes, we can still talk about the mistake is my overall point. Indeed, and, and we will as, as this show moves on, I imagine. But there's some other more... I don't know, more more topical, pre, um, you know, pressing news for, on the Broncos front. Justin Simmons, the leader of this defense, basically, uh, is headed to IR with, with an injured quad that he hurt in the game, didn't really tell anybody, was able to finish the game, but he's going to be missed. Um, how badly will Justin Simmons be missed on the field? Caden Stearns will step in. Uh, Caden Stearns has been impressive in his 
most of his action. Uh, but is he Justin Simmons? Uh, I don't think so. And, uh, you, you know, uh, if I'm Coach Evero, do you ask the same cadence terms that you asked of Justin Simmons? Is he expected to pick up exactly where Justin Simmons left off? I think that's a too much of a bite to take, which your you know, your, your first start at that position. Um, maybe simplify some of the defense. Justin Simmons lines up in so many different spots. Maybe give some of that more of that responsibility to Kareem Jackson and other guys back there so Caden Stearns can really just focus on trying to be the best Caden Stearns he can be as opposed to, I need you to fill in for Justin Simmons and I need you to be just like him because that's a too big of an ask. So typically the, the mouthpiece, right, the quarterback of a defense is the middle linebacker, right? Uh, yes. Sort uh-huh. of. Pretty much. Josie Jewell has been that guy. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why they love Josie Jewell is because he is so knowledgeable. He's able to get the defensive linemen to line up where they're supposed to and uh, to understand. And it's hard for Justin Simmons back there to tell the D linemen where to line up, right? So, right. And, and Josie Jewell was out last game. you got to remember. So the green dot. Is it a green dot? Red dot? Green yellow, dot. Yellow dot? Green dot. The, 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 the defensive player wears on his helmet. That's the guy who has communication with the sideline. Mm-hmm. So was that Justin Simmons then last week? No, I'm pretty sure it's Alex Singleton. Okay, it's Alex Singleton. So, yeah. so it's not like they're losing their quarterback in the huddle. No, but the free safety is the quarterback in the back end. Right. So the middle linebacker is quarterbacking the the front when there's a motion, and those defensive linemen have to slide over to the next gap. That's all being done by communication with the middle linebacker. Uh, the middle linebacker is typically the one who gets the call in from the sideline and gives that out. Now, in the secondary, when there's a motion, and they go from cover two to cover three, or they, they rotate safeties or whatever else they're doing back there, it's typically the free safety is responsible for making that call. Everyone should know it. Everyone should recognize the motion because they don't have their hand in the dirt like a defensive lineman who needs the middle linebacker to point these things out. The secondary should see all that. Everyone should call it. But, yes, this week the expectation would be Caden Stearns to be loud and vocal with his communications when all that happens. And you best believe Lovey Smith and the Houston Texans, with the news of Justin Simmons being out, are going to do everything they can from a motion standpoint to try to trip up Caden Stearns. And so the two touchdowns that came to the tight ends in the game, one to Will Disley and one to the Tarzan-looking dude uh, down the seam. <laughs> right. Was that a secondary issue? Was that a communication issue? There was nobody back there. Uh, I think uh, our boy um, Kareem Jackson said it was. They have to communicate better. So, um, you know, I don't know exactly what the call was and what was missed, but for Kareem to point out we have to communicate better, and I think he was specifically talking about those two big places to the tight ends, uh, yeah, that's a communication secondary issue. All right, well, again, you know, this could be a product of just the unfamiliarity that this team has playing with each other. Now, not necessarily these, those defensive players. They know each other from last year, but it's a new scheme, probably some new terminology, some new wrinkles there, and obviously a new game day atmosphere with a new coaching staff. It might take a couple games to get that figured out. Uh, Justin Simmons, not the only guy uh, going to the injured reserve, or at least out. Quinn Miners also is out for a month, and... I, I do need for a moment to state the irony of an offensive lineman hurting his hamstring. It's pretty rare. That's a, that's a rare offensive lineman injury, no doubt about it. Because hamstring is usually like a, a third and fourth gear type of injury, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. or a starting and stopping kind of injury, right. a torque. Uh, an offensive lineman, they're just kind of usually stuck in first gear. Maybe they get to second sometimes. But it does speak to the explosiveness, perhaps, of this new scheme where they're moving laterally. They're running off the ball. they got to sprint. Sideline to sideline. So you're saying this scheme hurt Quinn Miners? Yep.
Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're saying? What I'm saying is this scheme requires offensive linemen to get out of their stance and run, does it not? It does. I'm just doing the Nate when you, you know, <laughs> I say something and you try to reframe my phrasing to say something else. Oh, so what you're really saying is. <laughs> yes. Well, no, Quinn Miners is a, by all accounts, even though he's a big dude with a big belly, very agile and very athletic. And so the more agile and athletic you are, the more you're able to put strain on on those hamstrings like I had hamstring problems throughout the back end of my career and it was because I learned to run faster and more efficiently and to run more technically in and out of breaks and stuff like that but I was pushing my body into a position that it didn't like I I was putting unnecessary not unnecessary but um, unusual strain and torque on different, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly what you're saying. When you when you make yourself more efficient on the football field, it takes you away from your natural ergonomic structure, and then puts strain on your muscles that may not have existed otherwise. This is true. I think you want your offensive lineman to be like four trucks. You want your receivers to be like Ferraris. You know, so Ferraris they can they blow engine parts, the belt. You know, Ford truck. You put spray some water in that thing that keeps going. So you know that that's what you want from your offensive lineman. So offensive lineman pulling hamstrings is a rare thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it just just doesn't exist very often. Quinn Miners is like a a Ferrari, like that's towing a trailer behind it. <laughs> maybe maybe not quite a Ferrari. Maybe a Corvette, fast but lower scale. Well, we hope he's he's back on the mend. Uh, Josie Jewell, we don't know where he's going to be either. So those three, they do hurt, but the show must go on. And we've got a little bit more of Russell Wilson audio about the story in question, the play you don't want to mention. We're going to harp on it just a little bit more. By the way, do you know anyone who plays the harp? Um, Not since high school. You knew someone in high school who played the harp? Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to play the harp next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, anytime you get the chance to try to, you know, win the game and, and, and solidify it and try to make a play, you know, um, you know, I always believe in having the ball, you know, and everything else. But also, we got a great kicker. And we, we're going to believe in our kicker again. So, um, I always trust his decisions and everything else. But um, I'm, I'm also always ready to, to go try to do it if, I, if, if we need to. Yeah, he trusts in his coach's decisions, but he's ready to win it if you need him to win it. You gave him a bunch of money. Um, to do that, and so that the option is always there. But Coach Hackett believed that that was his best option in the moment. Tried to make the kick. Didn't work. They lost the game. That's game one. Did anyone really believe that Coach Hackett was going to come out? It was just going to be smooth as silk. Everything was going to be clicking on all cylinders right away. Wasn't, wasn't it kind of obvious by the way that he structured camp, he structured preseason, that there was an assumption that it wasn't going to go perfectly, and it doesn't have to because there are 17 games, because you did just hire him, because it is a new coaching staff, because it is a new quarterback, a new system. You're trying to communicate together on game day for the first time. And so, of course, it's not going to be perfect. And Russell understands that. Isn't that right, Chad? That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Yeah, did we expect it to be perfect? No, I I don't think we did. Um, And we... Talked about that, you know, uh, according to the text line, ad, ad nauseum, how there was going to most likely be a slow start because of the training camp schedule, uh, because of the, the, the lack of uh, padded practices and full contact practices and all that thing. We assumed that would be the case, and that certainly was, you know, the case particularly in the first half on Monday night. Uh, now, 
uh, was Monday night's action enough to now move forward and got this thing buttoned up or there's still going to be mistakes and learning curves still needs to be taken care of? That's the, the next question of how much further ahead would you be if you had done those things in the preseason instead of trying to accomplish those in the regular season for a team that we all think will be better but is is going to be in a very competitive division and a very competitive conference, um, how much leeway do you have before you begin to cost yourself postseason opportunities is the question. Well, in the aftermath of the game, obviously everybody in the country is talking about it. It's the kind of fodder that's good for, you know, the morning shows and for the talking heads to give their opinions. And after the fact, what was he doing? How stupid. But some people were saying that the, that the quarterback in the moment should have spoken up. And then you got a lot of quarterbacks coming to Russ's defense saying, no, it's your first game together. You're not going to speak up or challenge the coach in that moment. you got to do what your coach said. Well, Russ was asked about uh, this very question. Would he speak up to Coach Hackett next time? Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, I think that you know, I was, I was at the line of scrimmage ready to go for it, too. You know, I was calling a play, and we were ready to go. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what we, we decided, and, and uh, we went with it. You know, and we, we missed by, I don't know, yard, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe half a yard, so it was, it was close. There are so many moving parts to a football team. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a village to run it. There's a reason why there's 20 coaches, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and 20 coaches and like 53 guys. It's a lot. There's a there, you, you basically have three or four coaches for every guy sometimes because your position coach coaches you up. The offensive coordinator, if I'm on offense, coaches me up. My head coach is my coach. My special teams coach is my coach. The special teams assistant coach is my coach. The strength coach is my coach. That's six coaches right there. Then you got quality control guys. The strength coach also has his three assistants who are also coaching you up. Right. Right. So you really got 10, 11 coaches for each guy. Right. Right. There are dozens of us. Dozens! Every, before every game, we'd have a walkthrough, you know, the day before where we'd go over our, uh, the different, the first and second and third group, well, first and second groups or even special teams units. We have our special team, you know, our kickoff team out there, right? And they're all out there, and Coach says, Nate goes down. Who comes in for him? And, and Nate's got to run to the sideline, and somebody has got to be prepared to run on for him. You have to know where you are, behind who, at all times, where you are on the depth chart, what personnel group you go in. Another good example of it is you see the way these tight ends are used in different packages, right? right. Andrew Beck's kind of one guy. Uh, Tomlinson has a very... Specific role, Albert O comes on for the three wide receiver stuff. These guys have to be keyed into all this little stuff. And if you think about the head coach, what he has on his plate, he has to know it all. Mm -hmm. He has to know it all. He has to have it all compartmentalized. And he has to be able to have all the information stored in the back of his brain. And in the front of his brain, he's got to have his finger on the pulse of the game. Right. That's not easy. No. So do you afford him a little bit of slack in that moment for perhaps not making the right decision? I think more slack would be given, more grace would be given, more understanding would be given if you hadn't said, oh, I got this. You set yourself up, Coach Hackett, for this criticism in some way. If you just had rolled into this first game a little bit softer, uh, I know he was answering a question, but there was a certain uh, confidence bordering on um, contempt a little bit for the question. I got this, you know? But like, okay. What's he supposed to say? Not what's he supposed to say, but he's a human being, right? Right. We want these guys 
to play our game in the media and say things the way you're supposed to say them, right? Answer them the way we want you to. Not the way that you do because you're an individual human being with your own thoughts and your own idiosyncrasies. Who cares if he doesn't answer it the way we want? What we got to judge him on is the product. The product wasn't good. Right. So let's talk about that. (laughs) But what you just said was you didn't like the way he answered questions. And so, okay, like, like, I guess we could parse his words and be, like, offended by, the you know, his arrogance or his confidence or the way he dismissed the question or whatever it is, and I get that. But why don't we just judge him on the product? And we've only got one product to judge him on so far. Right. So let's do that. We uh-huh. talk about the decision. But the way that he answered the question, is that going too far? No, because as an NFL head coach, a majority of your job is talking and discussing things with the media, which sets a tone publicly for your team, which then sets a tone for your locker room. So there's a connection to all of this. So what is, what's up with Bill, Bill Belichick? What do you mean? He, he has a continuous contempt for the media. He does. A disdain. Yeah. It's palpable. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do we rake him over the coals for it or do we just accept he, it because he's quirky? No, we, we, he constantly gets raked over the coals for that. Constantly. No, 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 I mean, we just accept it, man. That's no. him. That's Bill being Bill. How funny. No, no. He gets he gets uh, you know, criticism and pushback for his treatment of the media. Um, and if he were to say something, uh, as Coach Hackett said, if Bill were to predict uh, his success before his first game and he lost it, there would be criticism. That's all I'm saying. It's 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 a fair criticism considering how that question was answered about him being nervous. Um, and it's just it's a game. And once a game, you know, I've done games before. Well, then if, if you are so dismissive of that, then there's an expectation on our side, the media side, and on the fan side. Then all these things are going to be buttoned up. If you're dismissive of the question, like why would you ask me that? I've done football forever. Then. You know, go out there and show me that you've done football forever. There were mistakes made out there that weren't I've done football forever mistakes. They were, oh, this is your first time doing this. Okay, <laughs> so maybe we need to judge you on that because you set a tone that told us that you got this. And apparently, first time out, you don't. So I'm not trying to kill the guy. He doesn't need to be fired. He's not an awful coach. He's not awful with the media. He's a, he's a, he's an awesome dude when he walks in the room. You can't help but be affected by his positivity and his energy. I'm not trying to say anything negative about the guy, but he set himself up with an answer to that question and then the performance on Monday night. That's all I'm saying. Am I willing to move on? Yes. Does he have some grace with me for a couple of games? He does. He just made it worse for himself and more difficult for himself with his answer to that question, particularly from a national media perspective, because national media doesn't get all the sound bites, but they sure heard that one. And then they watch what happened on Monday night, and they can't help but connect those two together. No excuses! (laughs) So, okay, so so what if he had answered it the opposite way? And it's been like, yeah, man, I'm really nervous. Like, I can't sleep. Uh, I'm having a really hard time. Like, I That also would have sucked. (laughs) Right. That also would have been a bad answer. Like, maybe he was trying to give the type of answer that would pacify his team, the fan base, instill confidence in him that this guy's got it taken care of. We don't have to worry about this first-time head coach who's never done this before. He's got it figured out. And so if your leader's confident, doesn't that make you confident? It should. But guess what? It turns out that we didn't have enough there to be confident about. That's all. So do you think the players played in a way that reflected that sort of attitude? Uh, Were they... Did they play in a way that reflected coaches' overconfidence? Overconfidence? 
Uh, I didn't see a team that was what I thought was overconfident. I thought they didn't match what the Seahawks brought from an energy perspective, in the, particularly in the first half. But I don't think that was due to overconfidence. Do I think his quotes somehow undermine the capability of the Broncos to go out and win the ball game? No. It's more, in this case, Tuesday morning quarterbacking of, hey, you said that, and then you didn't play well, so now I'm going to connect those together and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have said that. That's all. Now it's Thursday morning quarterback in that. Yeah. And, um, you know, until until there's a new piece of evidence, we got to talk about the latest piece of evidence, which is the game we just saw. Um, we got somebody who's, who can give us a really balanced opinion of all this stuff. Andrew Mason's going to join us after the break. But first, the Rockies played yesterday. Here's Spilly to spill it. Spill it, Spilly. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. As we groove to the Irish stylings of Slightly Stupid, we welcome in on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline our senior Broncos writer, DenverFan.com, Andrew Mason. What's up, Andrew? Not much, fellas. How are you? Pretty good, Andrew. So the Broncos are dealing with a few injuries, um, new ones. Justin Simmons headed to IR. Quinn Miners um, has a hamstring injury. Josie Jewell was already out last week, particularly talking about Justin Simmons and Josie Jewell. Those are the two quarterbacks of this defense. How much of a, an issue is that going to be having those two guys off the field? It could be a huge issue, and it's not that uh, it's not that Caden Stern isn't uh, – isn't capable. I mean, he plays the dime back. He's a plays a playmaking uh, safety when he's out there. Actually, had a proclivity for making plays last year, despite uh, limited reps. And he has started. He started for a couple couple of games for Cream Jackson last year. But I mean, you're basically you're you're kind of you're taking the two guys that get uh, that get everyone set out there. So I think the interesting thing to watch here is uh, not just what goes on pre snap, but also does not having those two players limit what they can do in terms of being aggressive, especially uh, being without uh, Justin Simmons on the back end, because maybe you're going to be wanting to kind of bring Caden Stearns up to speed. Maybe he can't do quite as much uh, tactically as, uh, as Simmons could. So this is a, it's a potentially big blow, but uh, at least you've got to stretch the schedule here in the next couple of weeks, at least where you hopefully can withstand it. Uh, Mace, Pete Carroll continues to take his victory lap. He was talking to uh, some folks from The Athletic, and they talked. Uh, Pete talked about his plan for Russell Wilson during this game. They wanted him to escape the pocket purposely to his left, uh, where uh, I, guess, I guess since 2021, Wilson has broken the tackle box to his left on passing plays. He's 12 of 29 for 177, two interceptions, no touchdowns, and nine sacks. Uh, Pete Carroll giving away kind of the book on Russell Wilson. Do you think there's some concern there with such a strong uh, correlation between lack of passing success and forcing Russell out of the pocket? Uh, yeah, I'd say there is. I mean, it, 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 I think it's fascinating that he would he would let it out like that because, but yeah, it, it puts a book out there, but everyone would have figured that out from, I think, to some degree from the film. I think what it does is it gives the Broncos a chance to kind of adapt and work on it and see if they can kind of uh, emphasize that and improve that and get better at that. I mean, if they, if they didn't know it, they certainly are aware of it now. And I think uh, maybe it, end, it ends up being something that helps that helps them out if it's an, if it's a point of emphasis that they that they start that they start working on. But that being said, you know, 
for a team that, you know, if they, you know, for a team that was kind of trying to get Russell Wilson to do something specific, he was still reasonably, he was still reasonably effective. He was still pretty effective in the game. I mean, it was, it, it was basically on balance an average Russell Wilson game uh, by the end of it. And average for Russell Wilson would have been a game in the top 20, 25% for the Broncos in terms of quarterback uh, for quarterback performance over the last uh, over the last six years, so I mean, despite all that, he you know he was he was effective. I mean, he's literally two uh, goal line fumbles uh, away from having from, from the Broncos having thirty points in the game instead of sixteen. Sixteen. So, I mean, I think it, it's interesting what Pete Carroll is saying, and it certainly gives the Broncos something they can work on. But it's not like Russell Wilson was uh, was turned it was. Uh, turned into, you know, Brandon Allen against Buffalo three years ago by what they did. Andrew, despite the loss, despite the penalties, despite the uh, fumbles down there at the goal line, the Broncos really did move the ball at will against the Seahawks. They had 433 total yards of offense. Uh, Russell Wilson threw for 330. They were running the ball very effectively. But not everybody was pleased with the with the distribution. And, and they're never going to be. There's one football and there's a bunch of different guys who are good enough to get it. You look at Jerry Judy, had a great game, only four catches. Why aren't you throwing Jerry the ball more, right? Why didn't you throw KJ the ball? He didn't have any catches at all. But then Javante, why didn't you hand him the ball more? He needs more carries. But then Melvin Gordon probably could have had a couple more carries. And Andrew Beck, he had two great catches right at the beginning. Why didn't you throw him the ball more? How do you please everyone? How do you create a balanced attack with this offense? Well, First of all, it's going to be over over time, over multiple games, and you know certain game plans are going to emphasize certain guy, certain guys, certain tactics. One thing I will say though is, you know, if you focus on the carries, you can say, okay, yeah, Javante should have had more carries because he only had seven. But I think the Broncos look at it in terms of more total touches, which is including receptions, uh, plays in the screen game, which uh, you know is often an extension of the running game, tactically speaking. And Javante ends up with eight with eighteen total touches, and Melvin Gordon ends up with uh, with fourteen. And then by the end of the game, you had Melvin Gordon, Cortland Sutton, Javante Williams, Jerry Judy, all with at least seventy yards from scrimmage. And then uh, two of them, Judy and Javante Williams, had over a hundred yards from scrimmage. I actually think when you step back and look at it, I actually think they had really good balance in the game in terms of, of spreading the ball around. About as good as you can expect. I mean, really the one thing that you were kind of lacking in was uh, getting uh, K.J. Hamler involved. Uh, he had one play he was targeted, another play where he drew a pass interference penalty. Um, so that you know, that's something that maybe you work on in, in a little bit more week to week. But I think with those, with those guys who are probably kind of the, the top four uh, skill position players, I thought they were all reasonably involved to the point where you did have balance. Let's uh, move from the review to the preview. Houston Texans on Sunday. Uh, what do you expect from this matchup? Well, I mean, if you look at the the Texans and what they did Sunday, that game, Texans Colts had quite a bit in common with Broncos Seahawks in terms of one team being clearly better and yet making miscues that brought them down to the level of their opponent. Lovey Smith said something interesting yesterday on the conference call with uh, media. And he, 
you know, I, I kind of asked him about, you know, you're, you got a young team and, uh, you know, learning how to win, yada, yada, yada. And he said the message that he tried to take to his Texans is that, look, we lost to these guys by 31 points last year, and then we tied them. And he's like, okay, we caught up to them. If you watch the film, I don't think it's the Texans as a team catching up with the Colts. I think it's the Colts making mistakes, uh, different in terms of the exact mistakes, but similar in terms of effect that we saw the Broncos uh, make in week one and basically dragging themselves down to a a lesser opponent. And I think for both the Colts and the Broncos, I I think we'll see them kind of grow from that and learn from that. Certainly the Indianapolis, the big one of the biggest reasons why they lost was a poor performance from the kicker Rodrigo Blankenship and they cut him. Uh, No one on the Broncos is going to be cut because of uh, what happened last week. They're not going to cut anyone responsible for the giveaways or whatever, but, it's certainly things that are within their control. And I think uh, the Broncos will be on point and it, and it will reflect more of uh, what we've come to expect from the Broncos. I think what we're going to expect from the Texans this year, I think that there, there's not enough uh, dynamic, uh, there's not enough dynamic skill on offense. They've got some reliable components and Davis Mills, I think is can settle as kind of a solid uh, mid tier to lower mid tier quarterback. But I think the Broncos are going to have too much weaponry, too much firepower in this game for the Texans to, to cope with on the defensive side. I think they'll pull away for a two-score win. Love it. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. My pleasure, fellas. Take care. There he goes, senior Broncos writer, DenverFan.com, Andrew Mason. All right, this uh, game against the Seahawks, it stung. It hurt. Oh, it was painful, but it's over. We flushed it. We're on to the Texans. Does the way the Broncos respond on Sunday against the Texans, determine whether or not they're a playoff caliber team. We'll discuss that next. Denver Sports Station 1043, the band presents Chad and Nate. Mucho gusto. Me amo, Nate. I'm here with Chad. Me amo, Chad Brown. Me amo, Chad Brown. Chad, I know I've stated this before. I don't know if I stated this on this show, but um, I have a problem with elevator buttons. You know what my problem is? <laughs> Please tell me. You can't unpress them. You press one. There's no cancel button. You hit the wrong floor. Sorry, you're going to that floor. You can't press it again and have it turn off. That's it- interesting. It's true. Yeah. It, it, there's a stew out of me. <laughs> there is, there's no option to cancel. Yes, you're stuck. Have you been in an elevator with a kid who's like, you know, yeah, first like time Christmas in tree. Yeah. Yeah, no, not cool. Yeah. You should be able to unpress the, be- the elevator button. I agree. Um, okay, before the break, I teased this matchup with the Houston Texans. Yep. And, you know, every NFL team, you got to take them seriously. The Houston Texans are being coached by Lovey Smith, who is in a very, very experienced NFL coach. When you look at their matchup last week against the Colts, Andrew Mason was talking about this a little bit and talked about how that game slightly mirrored the Broncos against the Seahawks and that one team actually yardage-wise dominated the game but made some mistakes that kept the other team in it. The Houston Texans um, had 299 total yards to the Colts, 517 total yards. The Colts had 90 offensive plays. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot. I cannot That's remember. College plays. College yeah, games. I cannot remember an NFL game where a team had that many plays. 90 is a lot. It's typically anywhere between, I don't know, 55 and 70. 90 means they just controlled that thing. Uh, They threw for 340 yards. 
They rushed for 177 yards against the Texans. Texans offense threw for 222 yards. That's Davis Mills. Um, a man who a lot of people have underestimated, but I think he's a, a pretty pretty game quarterback. Not, obviously not upper echelon, but he can get you if you underestimate him. They only rushed for 77 yards, though. And the time of possession was, well, it went into overtime, so it's a little bit of a misnomer, but uh, the Colts outpossessed them by 10 minutes. So obviously you can't look into this and think you're going to have an easy task, but don't the Broncos have an easy task? Okay, uh, according to the ESPN matchup predictor, the Broncos have a 75.9% chance to win this game, only 23.9% for uh, the Houston Texans, the missing 0-2% in there is a possibility of a, another tie for the Texans. Um, yeah, I expect the Broncos to win this game. The Broncos are a better team. But as we have found out, being the better team from a talent perspective only gets you so far. It only gives you so much of a chance. You still have to execute. This is the NFL. The other team gets paid millions of dollars as well. Uh, their coaching staff gets paid millions of dollars as well. And so for the Houston Texans to play a cleaner brand of football and let other teams make mistakes, that could be what Lovey Smith's plan is. We're not going to get risky. We're not going to get crazy with this. We're going to just kind of keep and play within ourselves and let these other teams shoot themselves in the foot, as the Colts did. Colts were a better team. Colts are, you know, expected to go in the playoffs. They got one of the best running backs in the league in Jonathan Taylor. Um, uh, Matt Ryan can still clearly sling it. Um, but despite all of that, the mistakes is what caused the Colts the tie, just as the mistakes cost the Broncos to win on Monday night. So, yeah, I expect the Broncos to win. I don't think there's a person on the planet who would say the Houston Texans are a better football team, but is that going to be enough? So, Lovey Smith, a very experienced defensive coach, like Pete Carroll. Yeah. So, do you expect him to take that blueprint of trying to flush Russ out of the pocket to his left? that the Seattle Seahawks employed? Do you think the Texans are going to do the same thing? Well, there was a second layer of this uh, defensive strategy uh, from Pete that uh, I didn't mention. They also, you saw when Russ took off in in the pocket in between the tackles, they knew from Russ's, Pete's experience with Russ, if he sees both A-gaps vacated uh, on a passing down, he's going to take off and do that. So they purposely did that, according to Pete. The Seahawks purposely did that to force Russ up into the pocket and they could bring their spy and tackle him for a short gain. That way they could limit Russ and take away a passing opportunity from him. So for Lovey Smith, is it going to be exactly the same? Uh, Lovey Smith has watched enough defensive tape to begin to figure out what kind of pass rush game he wants to play with Russ. Um, I'd imagine those tactics, if not exactly the same ones, but very similar tactics will be employed. Every defensive line coach's responsibility is to look at the quarterback when he escapes the pocket and decide which way do we want to force this quarterback to escape, which side is he least capable of hurting us in the passing game, and it changes from quarterback to quarterback. But, you know, this plan of letting a quarterback escape the pocket to a certain side, we were doing that when I was in Seattle. Uh, that was a big-time Bill Belichick thing. Um, so it's been around for 20-plus years, this thinking of, okay, let's purposely let the quarterback escape the pocket and push him to the sideline on a side that he's least comfortable with. Um, so, yeah, Lovey Smith is going to do that, even if it's not specifically the same specific blitz that the Seattle Seahawks did. So when a team knows that they might be outmanned, might have the you know inferior roster like the Texans have compared to the Broncos. They got to look at ways to exploit weaknesses that the Broncos do show. 
What are the, okay? Looking at that game on Monday night, what are the Broncos' weaknesses? They are undisciplined. Twelve penalties over uh-huh. hundred yards. Sloppy, late hits, helmet to helmet, uh, defensive holding, delays of game, things of that nature. As a coach, is it possible to try to exploit the sloppiness of another team? How do you do that? that, that that's tricky, you know, because what? There was two or three of those calls were. Uh, Play clock violations. So, I mean, how do you how do you do that? I mean, the Houston Texans are obviously playing here in Denver, so they can't bring the crowd noise with them. Hey, uh, those Texans fans, they travel well. <laughs> I don't, they, don't think they, they travel well. They fill up those well. stadiums, man. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think that's going to be much of a factor. Uh, you know, is Kareem Jackson going to go helmet to helmet again? Can you get your players to elicit that kind of hit? Uh, I think some of that stuff is, you know, almost Well, impossible. he will go helmet to helmet again. We know that. Because yes. he comes downhill so fast and hard. How do you even regulate the, the the elevation of your head and all that? You're just trying to hit something, right? At that Hopefully point. it's not this week. Because if you repeat it back-to-back, that could turn from a flag to a fine and then put you on the suspension list. Is that right? Yes. If you go back-to-back in week in back-to-back weeks, you, yes, get, you get suspended. You're going to raise the ire of the league office. If Kareem Jackson would have this in week eight it would just be another penalty and maybe a possible fine because it was the second time this season kind of thing. But if you go back-to-back weeks, yeah, you're getting a letter from the commissioner. You, you, you are put on the possible suspension list if this were to happen again. Yes. So he's going to get fined for that hit? Uh, most likely. He's got a FedEx envelope what? on his stool at his locker. Yes. That was not egregious. That was it, not egregious in Kathy Lee, dude. No, it's not egregious. <laughs> <laughs> that was well played. Hey, thanks, it, man. it is not. It was not egregious, but it's the NFL in 2022. They're trying to eliminate the helmet from football, literally. Well, how much is he going to get fined for that? Uh, somewhere between I don't know, seventy five hundred and twelve five. What's the biggest fine you ever had? Uh, twenty. What'd you do? Uh, excessive finger pointing. Come on. Yes. Twenty grand. Twenty grand for pointing your finger because it was oh. excessive. Because it was Monday Night Football. Wow, and it was a bad look for the league. Yes. Who were you pointing at? Uh, Green Bay Packers offensive tackle. Was he in your kitchen or what? No, I was destroying him. So he had did something dirty to me. And so uh, during a... You were like, you, I don't like you. Yes. So we were jawing back and forth and the cameras caught me excessively finger pointing. 20 grand. 20 grand for excessive finger pointing. Where does that money go? It uh, goes to NFL charities. Roger so, Goodell's yacht? Uh, no, it goes to NFL charities. And so at the end of the year, my CPA would ask, okay, did you get fined? Yes, of course I did. You, you know, get to I write it off. Yes, you get to write that off your taxes. Wow, you're such a charitable guy. Yes, such it, a philanthropist. It goes into your charitable contributions. No, I want to do some community work. work. I'm going to go uh, hit someone late and stomp on his nuts and stuff like that. Yeah, I would tell my wife. It's a write-off, man, when I hit that quarterback in the head with my elbow. You know, it's, I love the kids. Well, let's hope that he doesn't do it again because we need that guy back there. He's, he, he now represents really the, the veteran back there, right? Um, yeah. Ronald Darby obviously has some experience in the secondary, but Pat Sertan's a second-year player, playing like a vet. But um, I guess what, with leadership in the secondary, now that Justin Simmons is gone, we can't afford to lose Kareem Jackson. All right, I want to run a, a texter question by you because Justin Alden is the offensive coordinator of this team. Yep. Typically the offensive coordinator calls the plays. Yep. But Hackett's calling the plays. So what does Justin Alden do? All right, so we asked this question at, uh, I believe it was the second um, preseason game uh, during the production meeting with me, Steve Levy, and Ryan Harris. And I asked Coach Alden, okay, I don't want to be offensive to you, but people want to know what is it that you do since the head coach calls the plays? And he's like, that's a really good question. 
Um, he's like, uh, occasionally in practice, and, you know, uh, I'm prepared to be the backup play caller, but occasionally in practice, I call the plays during practice. But my main job is bringing all the pieces of the offense together. If the wide receiver coach, Coach Azani, comes to me, he wants to run this particular route combination, well, he's just talking about the pass routes. Well, how deep are those routes? How far are those routes? What kind of drop does a quarterback need to take? What kind of protection do we need to do those routes? You're so, talking about in advance of the game, like during the week, when, during you're, the week. when you're drawing up the plays? When you're drawing up plays, and or maybe the offensive line coach watches some defensive tape and says, we can execute this block on this guy. Okay, well, that's the blocking scheme. But what is the running back's? arc look like? Is it reverse handoff? Is it is it regular uh, you know footwork from the quarterback? All those pieces, I've got to bring all those pieces together when these coaches come to me with a plan or a suggestion for a play, I've got to make sure all the pieces fit together. So that's my responsibility for the offense is to literally coordinate everyone's thoughts into a cohesive play that makes sense with what the structure with what we do. Uh, so I thought it was a really great answer and a detailed, a detailed answer at, at that. Um, but during the game, he's up in the press box. So he's the eyes up in the sky for Coach Hackett, given all those little tidbits of information about what the defense is doing or the safety's coming down, all those things that you have difficulty seeing on the field level. He's up in the box seeing all that with his binoculars. Yeah, and so also to me, he's, he's the run game coordinator, right? Yes, and so Clint Kubiak is the pass game coordinator. Correct. So they're collaborating in that regard as well. When I was here um, and Coach Kubiak left for a while, Rick Dennison, Rico, was the run game coordinator. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeremy Bates was the passing game guy. So I think that's a, a fairly common, you know, um, kind of juxtaposition there. And then Mike Shanahan would call the plays. But um, anyway, you just got to make it work your way, right? And I think we have to understand that this is going to be a work in progress. How much time do you give Nathaniel Hackett and his coaching staff to figure it out, like to figure out these game day operations? You got to get down within a couple of weeks. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't waste games. We've already wasted one, so you can't waste a, a, another. You cannot lose game. You don't want to lose games because you didn't have your operations correct. Um, Things have to improve this week. Do they have to be perfect? No, but you've got to find a way to check off the mistakes of last week and not repeat those here this week. Yep, we got to see some improvements, and I think we will. Okay, if you have tickets, yeah, if you have tickets to this Sunday's game, we got a chance for you to join us beforehand for a VIP experience at Mile High Station during the fan football pregame. Be caller number four right now. That's right now, 303-713-1043. And you'll win four VIP passes to enjoy food and drink before Sunday's game with us at Mile High Station. These are not tickets to the game, but a special VIP experience with Mike Evans and DMAC at Mile High Station beforehand. Good luck. Call us now, 303-713-1043. Okay, Brett Favre is in the news, not because he's slinging touchdowns, but for a much more nefarious reason. Chad's going to tackle that next in Distractions. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. 